building, singing, playing, the activities that will take place throughout eternity, Lord. And this life will seem just but a past dream. <laughs> Give us grace to endure our trials and our sufferings, Lord. Use them to make us like you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Turn with me to second, or 1 Samuel 19. Bible tells us, you know, the things in the Old Testament were written for our encouragement. Our ex they were an example to us, you know. David was so gifted by God as a prophet, as a king, as a shepherd, and he had a gift to be able to put into songs his emotions and really reveal his relationship that he had with God. And one of the things you'll find in David's life is that he had to battle fear. Now, you know, you start thinking about David, you think, oh, that's the last thing you think about David is him being a fearful guy. I mean, how can you be a king if you're fearful? I mean, that, we think fear, we think cowardice, right? Well, David was put in a lot of situations that were scary, life-threatening, things probably most of us haven't really been sub subjected to. Uh, we lived in a, at least at this point, still fairly peaceable. <laughs> Could get weird, but you think about other parts of the world where there's an antagonism towards the gospel, towards Christians, and you know they're being martyred. You know, or, and it's still going on. So far, so good here. But David is facing this situation. We're going to be in Psalm 59, but this is the background to it. David has been called by. Saul into his court. He plays an instrument to calm him down because he's troubled by demonic spirits. David uh, was really introduced to, to him in a different way uh, when he, as a shepherd boy, fought Goliath. And so he's part of the court. And as we were, if, we're not going to read all this in 19, but just to give you a rough overview. Um, it's important that you sort of catch the times in which David lived. We're at the end of the judges. Remember, it says there, you know everyone was doing that which is right in their own eyes. The judiciary was corrupt. The judges that were set up through the law and through the priesthood, by and large, was corrupt. They were all seeking favor uh, with uh, Saul. Um, it's just one of those things. We talked about that last week in Psalm 58. David prayed that these wicked people in leadership would be annihilated, break their teeth out. Literally means to annihilate them. So we took the liberty to pray against those strongholds last week, as you guys remember. But here, uh, understanding the times, this is an all-out event that Saul wants anyone who sees David to essentially we're coming for him. He's got the authority of the judges. He's got the authority of those around him. And they're going to seize David to kill him. And so it's, it, this is the beginning of the, 
of the persecution that he would face for the next over the next decade. This is just the beginning, and it starts out pretty rough here. He's in the court, and he's playing along, and, and all of a sudden, Saul takes the spear and tries to pin him to the wall. David being the agile warrior, the fearless one. Whoa, I think I'll leave. He flees. He goes home to his wife, Saul's daughter, Michael. And she realizes what's up, that he's, it, he hangs around, he's going to die. So she provokes him and encourages him, rather, to leave. And she puts some idols, some kind of figurines or whatever they were, in the bed. Some hair, as it were, on the pillow to feign that he's there. And he's gone, and of course the troops come to, to get him. And uh, David is mad at his daughter that she let his enemy escape. And David, what did I say? Yes, Saul was angry with his uh, daughter. And um, then we see uh, the next day he meets, uh, and this will be chapter 20, he meets with Jonathan, they say, look, you know, let's figure this out. And they make a plan to find out just how this would go, and it doesn't go well. And so now David is, you know, an alien on the run. But everybody in the country that is, nobody wants to disobey the king. Everybody wants to get along, go along to get and get along, and and to now you've got someone who's on out of favor with the king. So there's not a lot of places that David's going to go to find help, and uh, his struggle begins. So as we go back to Psalm 59, this psalm will make a little bit more sense because he talks about the Lord being his strength. He, he, he cannot figure this out. What have I done? This, that's in the text there for Samuel 19. What did I do to deserve this? I mean, what is, I don't get this. I'm trying to save my country. I'm fighting the battles. I've killed Philistines. I've killed a giant. And I don't understand why he's so mad at me. You know, kind of a thing. And so he's looking to the Lord to be his strength. We're going to look at, he looks to the Lord as his deliverer, as the one who, who is his defense. And, and I think this is how we have to frame our, our battle with fear. Every one of us in this room battle with fear. We have insecurities. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. There's lots of things that could take us out. We could have an accident. We could have a, get a disease. I mean, just, you know, nobody get, nobody's getting out of here lie, right? We're, we're all going to pass on. And, and that's the king of terrors, according to Job, right? The fear of death. I mean, what's really like well it's going to be a real personal experience for everyone right and so David uh, begins here in verse 1 of Psalm 59 uh, crying out to the Lord and of course this is in a song and then so much of how David was able to express uh, the inner man deliver me from my enemies oh my God defend me from those who rise up against me Deliver me from the workers of iniquity. Save me from the bloodthirsty men 
for they lie in wait for my life. The mighty gather against me, not for my transgression, nor for my sin, O Lord. They run and prepare themselves through no fault of mine. Awake to my help, and behold, you therefore, O Lord God of the hosts, the God of Israel, awake and punish all the nations. Do not be merciful to any wicked transgressors. At evening, they return and they growl like a dog. They go all around the city. Indeed, they belch with their mouth. Swords are in their lips, for they say, Who hears? But you, O Lord, shall laugh at them. You shall have all the nations in derision. I will wait for you and my strength. For God is my defense. My God of mercy shall come to meet me. God shall let me see the desire upon my enemies. Do not slay them, lest my people forget. Scatter them by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them be taken in their pride. And for the cursing and the lying which they speak, consume them in your wrath. Consume them that they may not be. And let them know that the God rules in Jacob and to the ends of the earth. And at evening they return. They growl like a dog and go around the city, and they wander up and down for food. They howl, but they are not satisfied. But I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning, for you have been my defense and the refuge in the day of my trouble. To you, O my strength, I will sing praises. God is my defense, my God of mercy. Just a beautiful song, and... Not sure if anyone's ever put this to some of these verses to to a song, but it would be it's it's really a song of our heart and a condition and uh, help us to deal with our own personal fears. But he starts out um, the enemies of the righteous. I mean, no fault of David. The guy's just doing his job. Now, why would what could possibly be one of the causes of Saul's insecurity? Well, the Philistines were always knocking on the door. They're surrounded. The surrounding nations hate Israel. The gods of, this is the whole, this is one of the motifs that runs through the Old Testament is the gods of the surrounding nations against Yahweh. They had rebelled against his lordship. The Lord's created, the one who created it all. These nations rebelled against him. So God created his own nation in, in, in Israel. And yet thereafter, God's people. And so the only way that a, an Israelite could be protected was to, in one sense, to be faithful. Being faithful to God puts God's protective bubble around each one of us. We don't have to fear. Your days, my days are all accounted for. I believe that you and I are indestructible until the day that's been set by God alone to take us home by what means we go, all that's been prepared. And I basically, unless I do something really stupid, <laughs> won't, I don't have to worry about anything. I can continue in my path. Look at David's life and how many times he almost lost it, right? 
You know, he slipped out, it says there in First Samuel 19. He slipped out of the way. You know, just, okay. That should help alleviate some of the fears. God is in control. We'll talk about this, the, a number of things that should help us assuage our fears. But this is what David needed. He needed protection. He needed deliverance. The surrounding nations and this, those that were serving the king were bloodthirsty murderers. I don't know that I really understand blood guilt. Um, thank the Lord that I've never killed anyone you know, directly or anything like that. I mean, I can't imagine those that have been in auto accidents and you know, manslaughter and those kind of things that happen. There's something that happens. That guilt... We all know what guilt feels like. It doesn't feel very good. But the worst kind of guilt, it appears to me, is blood guilt. When you become guilty of shedding someone's blood to the point that they die. And that it says here that they're bloodthirsty. You remember David, when he's later on, at the end of his administration, when he's leaving, and he, Absalom tries to usurp the throne... And as he's leaving, Shimei, uh, uh, not a very nice guy, is cursing him. And, they, and one of the Joab's brothers, Joab, the head of the army, says to him, let me go over there and take his head off <laughs> for cursing God's anointed, you know. And David said, hold on. Look, if God's allowing him to curse me, that's, then God will take care of it. And I don't know about you, sons of Zariah, three, three brothers, they were all fighters, and they killed a lot of men. And it was, it, they thought nothing of taking someone's head off. Something happens to the human soul. I think in the modern times, I think of the blood guilt upon those who take babies' lives. You know, it is so downplayed, oh, that's just fecal, fetal material, blah, 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 and all these other kinds of words that are used to downplay what is in the womb of a pregnant woman. That blood guilt, they're bloodthirsty. I've seen interviews with people who, you can just almost see the demonic presence and that they're, they glee with you know, what they're able to do and help women. So these, and this is what he's saying here, they're murderers. And they're, they lie in wait. They stir up strife. They're animals. Job, or Jude talks about uh, brute beasts, you know, fitted for destruction type people. And they bring great suffering into the lives of the righteous. They attack without cause. They're, they don't need a reason. There's no justification for what they do. You know, and, and, and isn't that really kind of how we're made? We're, we believe in justice. It's, that is one of the cries of the human heart, that we experience fairness. And so if I do something wrong, I naturally, all right, you know, I'll, I deserve whatever the punishment is. But if I'm just cruising along and doing the right thing, 
and something bad happens to me and they punish me for something I didn't, I mean, I'm up at arms. That, that's not right. The human heart cries for justice. This is, where, this is what is in David's heart. I don't get this. What do I, what do I need to do? It's not fair. And we th- should act like David in verse 4. He prayed. <laughs> That's all you can do. You, your reputation, your fears, the sorrow of your heart, people might be able to relate, but does that really salve your heart? Not really. But God can. And this is what David, he, he says, Awake, Lord. Do you see what they're doing? Come, meet, see. Look at verse 4 there. Isn't that great? Or maybe it's not verse 4. It's for, yeah, it's the end of verse 4. Awake to help me. You, therefore, Lord of hosts, awake to punish the nations. I <laughs> mean, come awake, meet me, see me. Lord, please get involved in this situation. And I think that's... Um, all we can do is ask God to manifest his, his defense because he is uh, the one who protects us. And that's really what eight through, verses 8 through 15 is about. When God's perspective of the wicked... Now, our perspective of the wicked is I feel overwhelmed and I am not mighty enough to withstand this. They can take me out. I am vulnerable, right? But how does God see this? And I love this. Um, this is also in Psalm 2. He uh, shall have them in, in derision. I think that's wonderful. Uh, he shall laugh at them. You know, the nations are haughty and are in opposition to, to the Lord. And he's... <laughs> I don't know what kind of laugh that would sound like. It's not a chuckle. I'm not sure how I would frame a laugh like that if I had the power over the nations and I saw that they were, that they were trying to manifest against me. But is it, hmm. <laughs> is it one of those kind of laughs? Or is there a subtle anger of what they're doing to his precious? You and I are the apple of God's eye. Never forget that. You, you think about that. You, you, Someone poke you in the eye, you're not going to take that real lightly. For the enemy and these wicked people to, to injure us, cause us to fear for our lives, it's like poking God in the eye. And he isn't going to take it lightly. No, of course, the questions we come up with is, why? Why, Lord, would you allow this to happen? I love you. And therefore, we feel as though, because we love God and we're serving God, that he should protect us from all harm. Nothing bad should ever befall the righteous. Oh, wouldn't it? We'd love it. Well, that'd be, that's what heaven is, right? <laughs> for, for reasons unknown to us and really beyond our ability, God never answers the why questions because you know what that would do. It would just create 10 more why questions and we'd be forever asking God questions. So the why questions come back to trust me. Trust me with your fears. Trust me with your ignorance of what you don't know. I know 
I'm in control. I've got this. The interesting thing about this kind of suffering, what does it do to the inner man? Suffering builds our character. There's things that you and I can never learn apart from suffering. David needed to be prepared for the throne. There's, he was not ready to be the king when he was anointed by Samuel. Just a kid, barely, probably not even 15 when he was anointed. You, he, he, had been through, he, had, he had very little life experience. He's not seasoned in any way. He's not ready for the throne. So you understand, in simple, to, in a distilled thought, it took a Saul to make a David. And God allowed Saul to afflict him for over a decade to prepare him f- for his leadership. You think about all the things that came out through the suffering that David endured. First of all, his fear of the Lord was developed. And I mean, what I mean by that is that he respected God's order and authority. He had how many opportunities to kill Saul? Anybody want to guess how many times? At least two times. He was right there and being encouraged by these bloodthirsty guys that had no problem taking people out. What are you waiting for, bro? Just take the dude out. This is over. We go, we take the throne and we're in control. Big temptation. No way. No way. I am not putting my hand on the Lord's anointed. God put him in there. Let God take him out. And he stood on that promise and on on that position. He was a man after God's heart. Well, that's just how it got developed. Being afflicted, being handed, uh, mishandled, if you will. And in the midst of all that, David never took his eyes off God. What what it means to say that David was a man after God's heart is he's a worshiper of Yahweh. No matter what happened in David's life, he always worshiped because God is always worthy of worship. You know, another thing, if you kind of, there's a number of things we won't do complete history of David's decade of running for his life. But one of the things that come out there is that the way he treated people. You know, this is one of the things that I've been stressing the last several months is God is more concerned about uh, our relationships with one another than, than the things that we do. It's how we treat one another, how, how we love one another. I mean, that's what we're learning in the Lord's Prayer. We see it in the, the Ten Commandments, you know, love God and love your neighbor. I mean, that's what it's all about. These great exploits and, and, and David killing Goliath, I mean, oh, that was great. But, you know, that's not the most important thing in the eyes of God. It's, it's really loving one another and caring one another. So they go to war. They take out uh, the enemies and some of the older guys and some of the people that are part of the band that are with David can't make it over the river. They stop, and they're going to just stay with the stuff. But the strong warriors, they're going on, and they're going to finish the battle and take back what belongs to them. And that happens. And then they come back with the spoils of war. And they say, well, these guys didn't go out to war. We're keep, we get the stuff. They don't get the stuff. And David said, no. 
That's not how it works, fellas. Those who stayed with the stuff, share and share alike with those who fought the battle. Because not everybody can go to war, but somebody needs to stay with the stuff, right? And so that became, as we read, uh, became sort of like a... Uh, what's the... Yeah, a policy is a good word. <laughs> It'd be, it's, what, it's the way uh, Israel conducted itself thereafter. So, you know, we also see that David had a deceitful side. You know, there wasn't all these great character qualities, but some of that stuff had to come to the surface through these trials. And so he, he goes into the enemy territory, and he acts like he's nuts, and he lets, you know, spit run down on his beard, and, you know, he, he's trying to wiggle out of the situation there. Well, where was the, he's afraid. You know, where's his great faith in God now, you know? <laughs> that's kind of nasty, but, you know, a little situation there, but that's, you know, um, he, he ended up spending time in the enemy's camp. I mean, Saul's too big of a coward to come get him because of the, you know, the enemy. And, you know, what was that about, David? Doesn't you think that was, you know, how many of us have kind of strayed from walking as t closely to the Lord maybe as we should have and, and we've got off in the weeds and we've got ourselves in trouble. This is a picture of how merciful and kind and gracious. God brought him out of that. David didn't never change his heart towards the Lord. He just didn't know what else to do. It was a tough situation. I'm not, I would never throw stones at David in that sense. We see another thing, that he had such integrity that when people would risk their lives for him, he never felt that, that he was worthy of any of that. The humility that David expressed in his life is, is unmatched by many. I mean, there's not many that measure up to his humility. He's thinking, they're in camp. It's like, man, I'm really parched. Oh, man, that, that well in Bethlehem, that's the best water. And these three guys, the top three guys of these mighty men, <laughs> that would be. This is going to be great. You know, you get. Do you think this is exciting? I'm going to depart a little rabbit trail here. We get to meet these guys. Isn't this going to be cool? You're going to meet these guys in heaven. But the top three guys decide these guys are a bunch of punks. Well, let's just go get some water. So they go to the Bethlehem. Probably kill a couple guys, <laughs> knowing, knowing these guys that they're fighters. And they get the well and they bring it back to David. There you go, bro. And he's just absolutely blown away. Does he drink that water? I am not worthy. These, you, these men risk their lives. There's only one person that's worthy of that kind of loyalty. Only the Lord. He poured it out as an offering to the Lord. But that, do you see why these guys loved David? He, because of his humility. I just find that really um, touching in a very uh, powerful way. So there was this constant reliance by David on the Lord for what, every situation that he was in. And, and so, so when we, we despise suffering, we would do anything in our power to not have to go through it. But in a sense, God doesn't like to see us suffer, but he loves what it produces when our hearts are right. It causes us to draw near him. David was drawn to God because he knew he needed protection and he knew he needed his defending. He couldn't defend himself. He couldn't protect himself. So he, God was using this 
allowing this, so to speak, to bring David into a deeper relationship, a closer relationship with God. Do you look at the suffering in your life that way? Most of us don't. It naturally, we, we're like, we flip it around and think, I'm being punished. <laughs> right? I'm the victim, you know. <laughs> well, God is blessed when we draw near him and we depend upon him. David here talks about waiting for the Lord. I think this is one of the most difficult things that we do as believers is to wait for God. But think about the times that you've prayed and you've had enough faith to wait for God to work it out, whatever the situation is, and you sit back and you think, whoa, that is marvelous. And you, something, something changes inside us when we are patient with God. He will let us run ahead and try to fix it ourselves and do it ourselves. I am a, like you, not a real patient guy. I'm more patient now than I used to be. If something needs to be done, let's get it done right now because I don't have to do it later. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's like that, that, that. So I'm building a house right now and when I look out <laughs> my window and I see the house there, I think, I, you know, I got to a list in my, oh, I need to get that done. Oh, 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 you know. And there, you know, it'll still be there. It's always going to be there. I'll get there. But my tendency as I've gone through my years is if it's in my ability and then I can work it in, I'm getting it done. That's just how, I, how I'm built. And I just want stuff done. I don't want stuff hanging over my head. And um, I wish that was true in every area of my life, <laughs> but it's not. But when you wait and you let God help you do it, it's, it does something to your soul. It, he loves it when we take shelter under him. He loves it when we watch and wait for him. And what this expresses to God is our loyalty to him. And that's what it's all about. David was a man after God's heart because he expressed the same loyal love towards God as God expressed that loyal love, hesed, towards him. I want to encourage us again. When you pray for those who are getting over on you, they're doing stuff that they should not, they're trespassing, and they're inspired by the enemy to persecute you and say things and, and hassle you and create, uh, make your life miserable. You can pray with full authority that you, just like David, nail them to the wall, consume them, break them, hinder them, make life miserable for them. Let them reap what they have sown. Let it come back upon them a hundredfold. I mean, we have that. There's nothing wrong with those kind of prayers. Most of these people are inspired by the enemy and sometimes unknowingly. And he ends this in 16 and 17, looking to God as a God of mercy. Do you see the Lord as a God of mercy? Oh my goodness, is he not? <laughs> he has the power to immediately vanquish 
all the enemies, but he's so merciful. He's merciful to the ungodly. He sees their day. Think about this. They're eternally separated from God. This is their heaven, even though many of them are experiencing a hell on earth because of their hatred, but it's still the best that they're ever going to have. Oh, you think about the, the end of the wicked and how God is merciful in allowing them a space and a time to repent and possibly turn. And such were some of us, right? Was there's not a time that we were antagonistic towards God? We want nothing to do. We blasphemed his name. Thank God for his mercy towards us. David recognizes, yeah, his failures, his uh, lack of faith, his lack of love for God. He sees God's mercy in his life. And I think David is cognizant of his fallenness. This is what, again, this is, as we walk with God, we become more in tune with our humanity. We know we're not perfect, but we're also not afraid to be transparent about it because everything's open and naked to God. I can come to him. I can be honest with him. He already sees it anyway. What am I hiding for? There's no need to get off in the bushes here. Here I am, Lord. I, I've got issues here. It's when I am blatantly honest in confession, uh, in, in confession before God that I get deliverance and I, have, and I receive mercy and I'm really transformed uh, by doing that. So, um, you know, we all need protection. We all need defense because we live in a lot, with a lot of fear, uh, fear of the unknown. But the, do you understand who the greatest what the greatest defense that you and I have is we have the Son of God who's at the right hand interceding for you and for me. I died for him. I got that covered. He's under the blood. Can you think of a better defender than Jesus? Isn't that great? He's there. We don't have to worry. I want to end this by having us... Uh, who, who will read this for us? We have some volunteers here. That just talk about fear, because we all deal with this. Isaiah 41, 10 and 12, who would want to volunteer to look that up and read it? Just raise your hand and give you some time to do that. Go ahead, Indrani. Hey, don't start yet. I'm going to give some assignments here. Second Chronicles, add Second Chronicles 16, 7 through 9. Second Chronicles 16, 7 through 9. Uh, I see I several of them here. Uh, who else wants to go ahead? Um, Leslie, we like these guys. Daniel three sixteen through 18 is a good one. Uh, okay, Isaiah 54, 16 and 17. I got uh, No, that would go, he already, he beat your hand up there. Sorry. I'll give you one. Fear not. <laughs> um. <laughs> Isaiah, Kate, uh, Isaiah 51, verse 16. So go ahead and draw any. Just, just, just let the word of God just minister to us just by simply reading it. Isaiah 41, 9, 10. Let me pull back up here. Yeah, 41, 10 through 12. 10 through 12. Go ahead.
Be sure that all who are enraged against you will be ashamed and disgraced. Those who contend with you will become as nothing and will perish. You will look for those who contend with you, but you will not find them. Those who war against you will become absolutely nothing. Amen. Next. So you said Second Chronicles 16, 7 through 9, right? Yes, ma'am. Okay. At the time Hanani, the seer, came to the Asa king of Judah and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Aram, Syria, and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. Were not the Ethiopians in Lubin a huge army with a great number of chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he placed them in your hand. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, so that he may support those whose hearts are completely his. You have acted foolishly in this. Therefore, from now on, you will have wars. I think the application of that's pretty obvious. <laughs> but who's next? Daniel three sixteen through 18. Yeah. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you this matter. <laughs> if this is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. So I want to point out something here. If the future comes down to us and having to deal with civil disobedience, I think this is a good thing to have in your heart. You know, like I said, we're all going to go. How are we going to go? We all have a place that <clears throat> we draw a line in the sand. And I love this. Let it be known to you, we are not going to serve your gods. And that's what it comes down to. I'm not afraid of men. You know, I'm not going to bow to this. You know, and that's really what the enemy tries to do with fear. He tries to get us off track and on not follow the Lord. And, you know, that doesn't end well for us if we do that. So this is the, these are really powerful verses. Go ahead, the Isaiah 54 one who's got that that you had. Uh, 16, 17. 16 and 17. Yeah. Behold, I myself have created the smith who blows the fire of coals, brings out a weapon for its work, and I have created the destroyer to ruin. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that accuses you in judgment you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me. This is powerful. This is just so powerful. I mean, he's got us. He's got us covered. These are the kind of verses that you, you, you dig out when you're going through it. Hey, Lord. <laughs> right? Hey, what, do you have your... Yeah. Okay, it was three chapters before. Okay, okay. I was a little confused when he had the same verse. Okay. 
I'm looking to, I have a list here, sorry. I'm looking. Yeah, 5116 is yours. And I have put my words in your mouth and covered you in the shadow of my hand, establishing the heavens and laying the foundations of the earth and saying to Zion, you are my people. I guess um, there might have been more to that one, but the, the point is the possession how possessive God is. And that alone, if you think in the context of, you are his child. Uh, I've raised five kids. Kathy and I raised five kids together. And I'm telling you, when it comes to protecting my kids, and she's a mama bear, you're going to have to go through a couple of us to get to our kids. You think about, they got to go through the Lord to get to you and to me. Isn't that wonderful? He's the great protector. I don't have to protect myself in that sense. I don't have to defend myself. He's going to do, he's good, he's really good at it. Anybody have something they want to share and then we'll go to prayer? Go ahead. Question. Because, you know, in the Beatitudes, you know, the attitude is to pray for those who persecute you and despitefully use you. And, you know, there's like the difference.